This is The Sean Prue Show on Canada Talks, Sirius XM 167. Hey, welcome to The Sean Prue Show. We're kicking off summer here on the SPS, the best time of year, don't you think? With food and drink ideas to make your summer grand coming up a little later on on the show. A 12-year-old chef is going to tell us something about cooking with cheese, and he knows he won the cheese episode of Food Network Canada's Junior Chef Showdown. We're also going to visit with one of the men behind the cult beverage brand, the Toronto Star Cult, the best premixed drink. And then we've got one of the country's top mixologists who's going to teach us how to make the perfect version of of Canada's national cocktail. Don't know what that is? You have to stay tuned. But first, uh, when temperatures here in Toronto, where we're based, reached highs recently that we see in July, not May, it was so hot, it got me thinking about an annual tradition we skipped last summer due to, say it with me now, COVID. Uh, summer of yes, we didn't do it. Well, when the world was in no mode, no family, no friends, no leaving the house, no anything, no fun, no, no, no life, it was clearly not the summer to be suggesting <laughs> That we all say yes to life. But this year, now that we've got vaccines, now that lockdowns are being lifted slowly, if you're in Ontario where we are, uh, now that we have something that looks like hope, I want to gently bring this tradition back. If you're unfamiliar with Summer of Yes, it actually originated several years ago when life was feeling a little blah for me. It was about this time of year, and I was out walking my dog, and it struck me while watching Ella and how she, likes, like all dogs, was saying yes to everything in life life, sniffing things, greeting things, examining things, um, that maybe I should follow her lead. I decided that summer to say yes to everything, and it was life-changing. I said yes to every invitation, every inspiration, every idea, every opportunity. I said yes. Obviously, some things that were unsafe, dangerous, vaguely humiliating were off limits, but within broad reason, yes was the way. Uh, my summer lit up, and my, my life was no longer blah, and this became a new tradition in my life that we brought to the show to encourage you to dial up life even more than it may already be dialed up. Trust me, it's magic. And while we're still in a world gripped by a global pandemic, I don't think the timing is that off this summer to start saying yes to life again. Uh, yes, there's limitations, but say yes to them and embrace what you can, even the crap stuff. Actually, let's start the show off with a flashback to a Summer of Yes chat from two years ago with a man who did just that. He said yes to the crap stuff of losing a job he was passionate about, only to find that life opened up in a bigger, brighter, better way. Have a listen. Dan Trepanier is joining us right now, and he is dedicated to mentoring young gay men trying to figure out healthy ways to live, love, learn, and have a proud life on their own terms. Hi. Hi. Nice to see you. Fantastic to be here. Uh, you lost your job. That's right. That's how this all started. It did. It, it, I did. It did. And uh, I lost my job after a decade of managing national internships across mm. Canada. Huge, huge project. Highly successful. A lot of passion went into it and then got, metaphorically speaking, tossed under the bus, which I think happens to a lot of people. When you when you um, had the, the bus toss, yes. did you say yes to the bus toss? I had or no was choice, no and lawyers help you say yes. yes. And uh, I saw it coming. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, you talk about uh, thought revolution and, uh, you know, sometimes the universe sends us messages. Yes. And I think this was the case of the universe sending me a message. So you mentioned lawyers and such. Yes. So obviously there was like a, a, a yes. you know. We have a problem with me being fired. But at, at some point, you must have said yes and realized that yes. there's an opportunity for you. There was. And I had just bought a boat prior to that. And that's the segue into I spent the first six months having a pity party on my 30-foot sailboat at Toronto <laughs> Island. 
near the clothing optional beach, uh, <laughs> writing and blogging and vlogging and yes. everything else. And then one day I woke up and said, oh, this is crazy. I can't uh, keep having this pity party. You know, bad things happen to good people. Uh, it's not uncommon for people in their mid-50s to be involved in something and then they just have to repurpose mm-hmm. themselves. And so I saw this coming and then I decided, I, so I decided I was going to job search. And then as I was job searching. It felt I, so wrong to job search. No, oh my God, I, I felt nauseous. <sighs> and so, so I thought, okay, something's wrong here. And then I decided I'm going to destroy my resume. I will refuse to work for anybody else. And I had spent so much time mentoring thousands of young people through internships across Canada yes. anyway, and decided uh, I'm just going to do what matters to live and work on my own terms. Luckily, I had uh, no debt. I had gotten rid of my car. I had downsized my stuff. I had an incredibly supportive partner, and I just decided to do it. Um, so I started developing a website and connecting with people and, uh, you know, the interesting thing is the turning point for me was one day I was sitting in the cockpit of my boat and I actually... I didn't know a boat had a cockpit. It does. Oh, yeah, it does. I just drink on boats. So <laughs> yes. uh, planes you, were ex- you and everybody exclusive. else. Exclusive. Well, by the way, when you have a boat, it's like having the cutest puppy dog in the park. Everybody wants to be your best friend. And so that in and of itself I've presents... I've never been invited on your oh, boat. Well, so we'll have to say. do something about that. <laughs> so, so what I did was um, I, uh, I, just, I actually started to cry tears of joy. Oh. And, you know, I don't know about you, but living in Toronto as an adult, crying tears of joy is not easy. Um, it's a challenge. And uh, now the, I wasn't bawling my eyes out, but I, you know, my eyes got all teary. Yeah, appreciation. Oh my gosh, it was fantastic. And so I knew that I was on the right track, operationalizing it. I call it matching spirit with commerce. How do you make mm-hmm. money off of this thing? Mm-hmm. And the irony is that, you know, if you look at the planet, there's 7.5, what, billion people. If you do the 10% rule, that's 750 million gay men, LGBTQ, not Mm -hmm. gay men, but LGBTQ. All I want to do is help a few thousand. Yes. You know, so the challenge is that the people that were connecting with me were people who could least afford what I'm offering. Mm -hmm. And so it's the the Syrian refugee who's in Toronto and is discovering his sexuality. The, The devout Muslim in Egypt who's connected with me or the guy in Burma. And, or the guy in Bangladesh and Thailand and whatever. And at first it was this, well, I'm not going to make any money at this. And, but I remember this philosophy, certainly in my last job, of you milk the cash cow to mm. feed the other farm animals. Mm-hmm. And so I decided that um, this is exactly the group that I should be working with and stop making it about money. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will come. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank God for Apple stock and all kinds of other things and cutting back. And so, uh, you know, three years later, I'm holding my own and I just keep putting one foot in front of the next. And, uh, you know, it's always evolving and it's always morphing. But um, I think as a, I believe, privileged man living in Toronto who gets to hang out on his sailboat mm-hmm. and can semi-retire in his mid-50s, we, ne- we have an obligation to give back to the community and to other people. And so mentoring for me is a really, really important thing. The challenge is you're connecting with people that are discovering their sexuality. And so it's, you know, how do you set boundaries with people and how do you have conversations around open relationships and coming out and so on and so forth and, and not necessarily sexualize the conversation. When I hear your story, just back into um, you realizing that you've been given an opportunity and uh, how do I make money and that sort of thing. I can relate uh, having quit a job in finance and sold my house and, and doing my own thing, but going broke. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but knowing, I knew, I knew, I knew, I knew, and I never doubted it. That because I was doing what I loved, right, 
because I was doing it that it had to work out. Yes. And that's a trust base, yes. And you were realizing in your own way that kind of thing uh, in your life was, was I don't know how I'm going to, I'm just going to do it. Yes. And it doesn't make any sense uh, from a business perspective to mentor people who can't afford me. Right. I'm going to start there. That's right. Yes. And I, and I think you, you know, we live in a crazy world where the world needs people, and I say this in the absence of ego, the world needs people like us more than anything. Mm. And it can't always be about the money. Uh, thank God I have a very, very supportive partner, but it, it is coming together. So what I did is I bought some recording equipment and some cameras and some lights, and I converted my living room. In fact, I kind of have a mic like this, not quite as nice, but it's pretty cool. And I started doing these uh, podcasts and, uh, I, this summer, I'm going to be converting my the cockpit of my boat into a recording studio. So you're going to sit on your boat and record podcasts? And and do webinars and do all kinds of stuff. And you are more than welcome to... to I would just love to do a story about oh, you. I'd love and, to. Oh, it would be fantastic. Absolutely. But it, But having that backdrop and having it as a creative space. So for me... You know, when you have a sailboat in Toronto, as I said, it's, you, you said it, people want to party on a boat. I view this as a very intimate, sacred mm-hmm. space. It, it's kind of like sailing Moby Dick. It's this big, huge thing that is a real challenge. It's an incredible amount of work. You respect it. Uh, you respect it. You respect the water, the, the, the latest devastation that's happening around Toronto Island. I see that. It's affected my marina. This is us just needing to respect the environment and, and run with it. So, so the challenge is to spend the quality time on my boat and to balance the having fun and having friends yes. on the boat. Um, there's, there's a discipline with, with all of it uh, yes. when you're designing your own life. Do you look at the fact that you just said that you're going to be recording podcasts on your boat? And, and realize that the, the, by saying the yes, that you've created this absurd life oh, oh, for yourself. To- totally. And, yeah. and, and so it's practicing what I preach in terms of, you know, my, my sort of mantra is doing what matters to yeah. live and work on your own terms, however you define your own terms. It, I, I would also add when people are listening to this and maybe cottoning to the idea of, of, of saying yes is you really have to be prepared to have a life that doesn't match anyone else's right. that you know. Right. It makes sense to know one. I've had people say, I don't know what you really do. Yes. <laughs> you know? my, my family's still saying I don't know that. what you do. <laughs> and, but it, 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 Sabrina and I, Sabrina's my colleague, um, also took a big yes moment and, and, and left her job. And we laugh a lot at how ridiculous, in a wonderful way, um, life gets because we're just doing our own thing. Yes. And life supports you. In that it wants you to be doing your own thing and being happy right and if everybody's turning left I, I will turn right mm-hmm. I, and I, I think I've always been one of these outliers over the years and, and that's what I think resulted in kind of the downfall of, of my program is because I was always an outlier and I be, was beyond the tolerance of the organization after mm-hmm. a while but it is about being different and it's really difficult in being the, you well, it's about being you well, yes. and everybody is different yes and um, you know as you know online the coaching community is is incredibly competitive and there's a lot of people over promising and under delivering mm-hmm. I prefer to under promise and over deliver and it, it's tough so there, there has to be this quirkiness to it yes and yes. I think you're like that and so when you start attracting those kind of people into your life you realize that there's a lot of people turning left yes you just have to find them and you you have to trust that the universe will bring them to you. Yes, and it's a wonderful time to be to be doing this because the world is now supporting entrepreneurship, understands yes. uh, individuality, and so we would encourage anyone listening who wants to um, say yes to a big change in their life to just p- ponder it. 
consider it for a little bit. Dan, where can we uh, reach you if we want to find more information online? You can just go to dantrep.com, D-A-N-T-R-E-P.com. You can find me on Facebook, although I've maxed out at 5,000 friends. Oh, my <laughs> God. Now I have Five. to have a fan page, and you know, I, but I lose about 12 a day, and then I pick up like 11 more. You just lost 14 yes. <laughs> for being that obnoxious. <laughs> Go back on your boat and you record your podcasts. I will. Nice to see you. I Thank wish you, you joy. Thank you very, very much. Thank Appreciate you for it. adding to our Summer of Yes Conversations. The Sean Proust Show continues here on SiriusXM Canada Talks Channel 167. You were wonderfully made, marvelous, amorous, glorious, victorious. You have a purpose and a reason. You were perfect born for the kingdom. You have a purpose and a reason. You were perfect. The Sean Pru Show on Canada Talks, Sirius XM 167. Summertime and the living is easy breezy. We're taking you to food and drink land now. And on the way, we're going to teach you how to make the perfect Caesar. It's Canada's national drink, after all. And a 12-year-old chef is coming aboard, too. You may have seen him on Food Network Canada's Junior Chef Showdown, Sundays at 9 p.m. He's going to tell us why and how he won the Big Cheese episode. I've sampled one of his winning creations this morning and can taste why he won. 12 years old. But first, remember how the delicious gin smash by Georgian Bay Spirits Company came along and achieved a cult-like status? Everybody was drinking it. Even the Toronto Star called it the best premixed cocktail to ever hit the LCBO, which is where we in Ontario get our bevies. Well, if there's a gin smash, there has to come along the vodka smash and a half smash, which of course is half the alcohol, half the sugar, half the calories. Georgian Bay Spirits Company co-founder Tim Keenleyside joins us now to share more from his most excellent adventures in delicious cocktails. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sean. Nice to be here. You're winning multiple awards. You're launching in the U.S. next month. You're on fire. What's going on? Yeah, it's been a crazy ride, I got to tell you. Uh, when we started the company, uh, gee, when was that? About 2013. Uh, we never really expected to be this big this fast. So it's it's been an exciting time for sure. How do you decide um, how to best uh, harness the momentum when you're in a situation like this? You know, um, you kind of just keep going. You know, it's funny when we started, um, there was, we were small, we were just kind of doing this on a whim and everything fell into place. And when that happens, uh, and you're small, you can take big risks because you're not so worried about, you know, what's next. There's not as much to lose. And so we just kept going, going, going and overcoming every obstacle that came in our way. And there were plenty of them. And then you get to this point all of a sudden where you reach a critical mass and things just start snowballing and it starts to sort of take care of itself as you bring the right people in place. You know, you hire a, a senior experienced team, you bring on a board and it, it has settled down a bit now, which is nice. Those early, those early days were, were pretty crazy. Because you said already you did this on a whim. Uh, did this take you by surprise? Did this sudden success? Uh, yes and no. I mean, when I say a whim, we were, uh, my business partner, Denny Wads, and I were running an advertising agency at the time. And we'd been building brands for, for, for others for a long time and thought, you know, it would be interesting to build a brand of our own. And we had this, um, 
background. We, we always had this interest in food and drink. And Denny had a background in, in uh, the restaurant business for a number of years. We had clients in, um, in the space and thought, you know, this would be an interesting opportunity for us. And so it was a side project when we started to build this brand of our own. And it quickly took over, it took over our lives in a very positive way. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, there was intention there. It was just, uh, and you always hope that it's going to be successful, but we weren't quite expecting what happened when a gin smash hit the market. Uh, Denny's your agency co-owner, but he's also your friend, not always easy to work with a mate or is it, you know, we've, we've, gosh, we've been working together for about 20 years now. And, uh, when we started, I remember he was having his first child and I was just getting married. And uh, now his his eldest is off to university last year and uh, my kids are growing up. And so we've been through an awful lot together. And I think, you know, when when you've seen that much change together, there's a bond that you know can't be broken. You're uh, the co-founder, as I mentioned, of Georgia based spirits company, but you're also the chief juniper picker. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. My, uh, my grandfather bought a, bought an Island on Georgian Bay in the fifties. I think he paid something like $4,000 for it. If you believe it. And, uh, I had been going up there my entire life. And, um, I remember my grandmother would always say, you know, someone's got to do something with all the wild juniper that grows all over Georgian Bay. And, um, over the years, you know, it's always something in the back of my mind. Uh, when Denny and I decided that we wanted to to try to create a brand of gin, we were actually on a ski trip in Collingwood. We were overlooking Georgian Bay, and we both almost at the same time, you know, Georgian Bay gin. It just it makes sense, and the wild juniper grows here, and all of a sudden that that, that whole life history just kind of came together at that moment. And uh, yeah, so we still, uh, you know, we go up to the shores of Georgian Bay and, and pick Juniper as a company every year. I now have a property about five minutes from where my, uh, where my grandfather purchased and uh, my wife and I and our kids are there all summer if we can and pick Juniper in the fall. And what's this I hear about encountering rattlesnakes? I mean, that's not true. <laughs> well, we do get the odd rattlesnake. Um, every summer, there's usually a rattlesnake sighting. I have yet to uh, come across one in the juniper bushes, although that is often their their favorite habitat. Um, but you know, they're 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 fairly slow moving, and they do warn you. So uh, I think they're I think they're kind of an awesome addition to the environment. Better you than me. <laughs> <laughs> So the arena that you're in is so competitive uh, and we see brands come along and and soon disappear. What's been the secret to your success? uh, Do you think, I mean, you guys nail the flavors, obviously, but what's, what's the secret? There's a few things. Um, One, I think we were really the right product at the right time. We read uh, the tea leaf, so to speak, in that um, you could see a craft movement was emerging when we came out with our original gin smash. There were craft beer was really growing. Local wines were big. But in the ready to drink space or what we like to call the craft cocktail in a can space, um, it was really just a lot of high fructose corn syrup, artificial flavor and artificial color. And we wanted to do something a little bit more sophisticated with less sugar, um, natural ingredients. And so I think we struck, uh, struck the right chord when we came out. So that gave us the momentum. And then from there, it's really all about innovation. You know, what, what are your new ideas and your new flavors? And we've been very, very good, I think, on the flavor side, um, 
all the all the partners are involved in flavor development to this day. Denny has a very good palate. He's, uh, you know, he he I believe he's um, a one step down from sommelier. He's taken a lot of the wine oh, wow. tasting course, so he he has a very good sense of flavor. I love a good drink, so I've got an opinion on <laughs> flavor too. <laughs> but what we really do though is we, you know, we create. We have a thing called Innovation Kitchen, which goes back to the roots of the company when Denny and I basically developed everything in his kitchen. Um, Innovation Kitchen is where we come up with with new flavors and new ideas. And basically, what's unique about us, I think, is we start with a cocktail. You know, we make cocktails. And then we reverse engineer it into a shelf stable canned product. So this idea of a craft cocktail in a can is, is an important part of our identity. We're developing sophisticated drinks that have some complexity to them. And I think that's what consumers really appreciate. What's the drink that you developed that never made it to market or would never make it to market? You hated it. Um, well, there it's it's often variations on a flavor. I remember we were trying at one time. Um, we, we had a flavor that we loved, but then we wanted to take it a step further and caramelize one of the fruits that we were using. And something very odd happened in the caramelization process uh, that was not very palatable. But you know what? You're always going to have uh, you've got to have hits and misses. And so we taste. You know, we taste in a year, hundreds of different uh, flavor variations, and you always get a few duds. That's not the only one. This is a tough job you have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's, it's pretty great to sit around. I, uh, you know, sometimes you take pictures of the, the table with all of our, our sample glasses work. on there. Yeah, that's us working hard. <laughs> what that's stops pretty- someone from coming along and just copying like the gin or vodka smash and just putting their own label on it? Right. Well, I mean, we've developed a we've developed a brand uh, over the years, and it's you know it's pretty hard to just replicate someone's brand. So the, there's that, and then there's the actual flavor, and so the you know the recipe or the ingredients that we use is 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 kept uh, is kept certainly uh, tightly guarded. Um, people can try to mimic the flavor, I'm sure, but no one has successfully done that to date. And I think that's a testament to um, how well crafted these cocktails are. It's not something you can just go in and copy. We were talking about your launch into the U.S. next month and your overall growth. What's um, that going to be like for you? Because it's a different market altogether, a far greater market altogether. How do you even know where to start? Yeah, I mean, we, we're, we're going to take a very deliberate approach. Uh, many companies from Canada have tried to succeed in the U.S. and have, you know, have hit roadblocks. So, um, you know, we're not going to try to go in and, and conquer the U.S. overnight. Um, we're going to start in some of the northeastern states and, um, you know, really take a concentrated effort to grow word of mouth or sort of state by state. Um, you know, we do think that our products are going to resonate as well um, in the States as they do here, because I think flavor always wins out. Um, But we're going to, um, yeah, we're going to have to wait and see, but we're prepared for, you know, significant growth. And this will be another, you know, major milestone for us. It's a very competitive marketplace down there, but I think we're a little unique too, because there's so much focus on um, hard seltzer in the States and here, and we have a bit more flavor and we use, uh, you know, we use our premium, um, spirits 
in, in our ready to drink products. So we have our gin and our vodka and a, a new tequila product as well. So I think that really makes a difference as opposed to just using, um, you know, a, a sugar alcohol or malt, right. uh, malt alcohol. Yeah. How do you how do you find um, balance personally between this and the agency? A lot of people trying to multitask or have different gigs or jobs on the go or want to start a new career uh, yeah. while maintaining their old one. How have you found the balance? You're going to launch into the U.S. and you're still running an agency. How do you do that? Well, the, um, it's a very good question. You can't. Uh, and in fact, uh, <laughs> and in fact, it's impossible. Yeah, it's impossible. No, we, and in fact, we, we closed the agency um, officially about a year oh, ago you did. Um, because it was, you, you, yeah, you, you, you can't have two passions. Unfortunately, if you're really going to throw yourself into something a hundred percent, I think you can't just try to do two different businesses. And so that decision was actually an easy one because um, you know, this, this business just has, so much promise and it's something new every day. It's so exciting. And it's still, it's still marketing, which we, you know, which we started out with. What surprised you the most about this business when you got into it? Oh, that's a, that's How a much good drinking question. You got to do, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the most pleasant surprise for me was the camaraderie uh, amongst the craft community. So, you oh, know, is be, that so? yeah, I mean, coming in as a craft player and, and getting to know, folks in the restaurant business and the, um, the cocktail and bar business, um, and you know, the whole hospitality industry was really, uh, all of these new relationships with people who really care about their craft. And that was really, that was really a, a pleasant surprise because it's a whole new community of people. Biggest challenge was what, or is what? Well, um, when you have a, when you have a creative idea and, you know, Danny and I both had a, had a creative marketing background, we were both, you know, creative directors, um, and you, and you, you have a great idea and all of a sudden you have a business. The biggest challenge is really, I think the, the barriers come in to, as you're more successful, um, you don't always, you don't always plan ahead for the success you're going to have. So scaling the business and dealing with supply chain and distribution and all of these headaches as, as you, as you grow, you need more production capacity and cash flow becomes an issue. All of these business, uh, related things grow and grow. And so you, you know, we had to learn. Uh, right. very quickly on our feet to grow up and run a large business. Um, and fortunately, you know, I mentioned at the beginning, bringing the right people um, on board and really made, I think, the big difference. Listen, if you haven't tried a gin or vodka smash, run, don't walk. Georgian Bay Spirits Company, I want to thank you, Tim, for coming on the show today. On the way, how to make Canada's national drink like a pro. And a 12-year-old chef is joining us, and it's going to get real cheesy. You've got the Sean Prue Show here on SiriusXM Canada Talks, Channel 167. We're glad you're here. You were wonderfully made, marvelous, amorous, glorious, victorious. Welcome back to the Sean Prue Show on Canada Talks, Sirius XM 167. Here's Sean Prue. 
Here I am celebrating summertime and still to come. Let's make the perfect Caesar Pro Mixologist Billy Killen is coming on the show in just a minute. But first, I want to introduce you to 12-year-old Victor Chow. He recently appeared on Food Network Canada's Junior Chef Showdown and won the Big Cheese episode. He chose Tristella Baccaccini among the other cheeses, and he used it three different ways. He stunned the chefs. One chef saying it was so refined, it looked like it came from a Michelin star restaurant. Victor, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hello. You're most welcome. Hello. And good job. The Michelin star, that's no um, laughing matter. That was a, quite a compliment you got. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Did you know what it meant? Uh, yeah. Um, well, I mean, obviously it was very good feedback. So uh, I was very excited for that. It's excellent feedback. When did you start cooking? Who taught you? Um, I started cooking around when I was six. Um, my dad got me started cooking. I loved watching him in the kitchen and that's what, got, that's what got me into it. And what do you love so much about it? Well, I love cooking because obviously it's my passion. Um, I love cooking because I love being in the kitchen and just creating things that I know I'll love to eat. And are you the one who cooks the most meals in the house? Um, Usually my dad and my family overall, we're like collaborating on dishes, which I think is super fun because it gets everyone cooking. Um, but yeah, I do cook quite a bit at home. What's yeah. your, what's your uh, claim to fame <laughs> when you cook at home? What's your big meal? Um, that's really tough. Uh, I would probably say it's mushroom risotto. Oh, um, that's one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I hear, it's delicious. I hear you got a little sister. Yes. <laughs> I hear she's tougher on you than the judges from the show were. How dare Absolutely. she? Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, she's incredibly picky when it comes to eating any kind of food. So her being so picky and being my biggest critic has really, you know, set me up to get judged by the judges on our show. What do you do when she criticizes you? Um, usually it's good feedback, oh, but, is it? uh, <laughs> usually it's good feedback, so but when she doesn't like that, yeah, right. It's very constructive, but when she doesn't give great feedback, um, it's, I know it's important to make adjustments because if it, it, I know if it's going to please her, it's going to please the judges. So, uh, <laughs> my first step is to make sure it pleases her. She's a tough customer. How, how did you even get on junior chef showdown? Um, yeah, so we had considerably long audition process. Um, we had to film an audition video of me cooking my signature dish and uh, showcasing my other skills. Um, there were a lot of phone calls. Um, and yeah, it was actually a really fun experience auditioning for the show. What were the phone calls about? The phone calls were mostly about, you know, figuring out what the things that we liked and the things that we could cook, the things that overall could make us you know, the top 10 best junior chefs in Canada. And were you nervous? Uh, absolutely. I, I was, I was really nervous. I don't even know. I don't even have words to describe it. Um, every day during the audition time zone, I guess, time lapse. I, I don't know what they call it. Um, I was just completely shaking. I was really nervous, but super excited to see the end result. What did you learn from this experience, Victor? Um, I learned to be confident in myself, to trust 
um, what, what I have in my mind. On the show, you'll see that I have a lot of extravagant ideas and um, it taught like me what? how to be creative. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, I like to make dishes with a lot going on in them, but uh, dishes that I know will definitely work because they're very exciting and innovative flavors. Um, but the show has also taught me to really just trust myself with whatever I really want to do because um, on the show, there's so much mental capacity that you need to have in order to succeed. It's a lot of and, pressure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. What was the best part and the worst part of being on the show? The best part was getting to meet the judges and those the other junior chefs who taught me so much and I learned from them so much. Um, but the, the worst part was the walk up to the judges uh, when they want that when they're about to taste our food because you don't you, you probably like the dish but you don't know if they will. So that was super nerve wracking. And that was probably the worst part. (laughs) Well, I know there's a certain big cheese episode where they really loved your dishes. Yes. Was that your favorite episode? Can I assume that? Yes, you can absolutely assume that it was my favorite (laughs) episode. Uh, What you want $5,000 cash. Yeah. What are you going to buy me? Well, (laughs) uh, first, I want to thank Trace Deli for being so generous to sponsor that episode because um, they, they were amazing and their cheeses are awesome. So uh, I, <laughs> I will definitely uh, think of buying you something. <laughs> You're off the hook I'm, for that. I'm just teasing you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what are you going to do with um, the money? Uh, I'm definitely going to donate some of it to Markham Food Banks uh, because nice Markham is where I live. Um, I'm also going to donate some to my school's culinary program. Because my whole thing, my whole, I don't know, campaign, I guess, on the show was to, you know, inspire kids. And I think inspiring the kids at my school to cook is the first step to getting all the kids in my community to understand the importance of food. What a thoughtful young man you are. I would have just spent it all on myself. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Tell me your best tips about cooking with Tristella cheese. Well, um, Tristella cheese is super versatile because they have so many different kinds of cheeses but um one thing well a few things that i would say that you that are a must when cooking with cheeses um if you're slicing cheese especially round cheeses you're going to want to get a flat surface so you're going to cut it in half and now you have a flat surface to cut on next um i know a lot of people yeah (laughs) um i know a lot of people like melting cheese because that's awesome to do um if you're gonna do if you're gonna melt cheese make sure you use a milder and softer cheese because because a strong and hard harder cheese will be super grainy when you melt it um how did you know that next (laughs) um from mistakes making Ah, mistakes is how you learn (laughs) and um for on the ch- on the show i made a cheese crisp kind of like a chip um my trick to making crispier cheese is um get it into super fine pieces but make sure you have it on medium high heat if you have it too high it's gonna burn and you kind of need it to melt and get all the moisture out before it crisps up if you're just joining us we're talking to chef victor chow 12 years old recently appearing on food network canada's junior chef showdown he won the big cheese episode so we're talking about cheeses tell us what you made 
You mentioned the cheese um, chips. Right. So I made cheesy polenta with a fried mm. bocconcini balls, mm. um, a bocconcini crisp with roasted mushrooms and tomatoes. Why do you love cooking with, you kept saying Tristella, why do you love cooking with Tristella cheese so much? Um, I love cooking with Tristella cheese because I know that um, there's so many cheeses. Uh, cheese, is super, cheese is a super versatile ingredient. And uh, I just really like cooking cheese and I love eating it as well because who doesn't love cheese? <laughs> who doesn't like cheese? What's your favorite cheese recipe of all time? My, oh, wow, this is tough. My family and I like <laughs> my family and I like fondue, yes. um, because it's super simple and it's something that everyone can enjoy, especially when you're standing around and just hanging out with friends, family. Um, it's an awesome cheese dish, but um, obviously, I really loved uh, bocconcini cheese for my recipe on the show. But other than that, it would definitely be fondue. Is it safe to say that you want to be a chef when you grow up? Um, I don't know, actually. I don't know what I want oh, to be when I grow up. Yeah. answer. Yeah. Um, I'm only 12 right now. So it's quite difficult for me to, you know, figure out what I want to pursue. But um, I know for sure that I'll always be passionate about cooking. Um, and I'm very grateful for the opportunity to have cooked on a nationwide show. Um yeah <laughs> what do you say to kids who want to start learning how to cook what should, what should they do first um for kids out there who want to get into cooking um my tip is just to get in there ask your parents to buy you ingredients ask them to ask you to get in there and help them because um the more you try it out the more you'll appreciate it and understand why it's such an important part of life like cooking is awesome <laughs> <laughs> you're a delight uh camp food network canada's junior chef showdown airs sundays at 9 p.m uh last question for you uh victor yep. what should the children who want to learn how to cook make first <sighs> um mm. i would i would say go with something simple make something like a salad if you like that because um, salad That's is good idea. vegetables and some sort of dressing, right? But Or you can ask your family if there's some sort of family classic or ask anybody you know if they have a classic dish that they want to teach you um, and learn from them because you, you, might, you, you may not know who can cook <laughs> that you know. <laughs> well, thank you, yeah, Victor, for coming on the show. Appreciate you doing thank that. You. Uh, enjoy spending the $5,000 that you won. All right. <laughs> and you have a great day. You too. Thank you. Take care, Victor. Still to come, let's make it the perfect Caesar. Pro mixologist Billy Killen is back in Killen Cocktails when we come back. See what he did there? Killen. Killen it. Really bad, right? Series 6 MK at Talks Channel 167. We're glad you're here. You're listening to The Sean Prue Show with Sean Prue on Canada Talks, Sirius XM 167. 
We've been talking food and drinks. It's summertime. And if you missed uh, earlier segments of this episode, you can hear them on demand on the SiriusXM app or a podcast after the broadcast on SeanPru.com. Now let's make the perfect Caesar. My friend, pro mixologist Billy Killen is back and he knows all things about Canada's national <laughs> drink. Hey, guys. It's like the... Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, I, I made a bad Killen joke. Um, going um, into break, and I, of course, I wonder how many times in your life you've heard a bad killing joke. Well, at least the three times that I've spoken with you so far, ah, but uh, it happens over there. and over. And it's, <laughs> it's good. I'm used to it now. <laughs> so, uh, the Caesar. A lot of people um, don't know it's Canada's official cocktail. It is since 2010. It's been our official cocktail, and uh, to the point where we actually now have a National Caesar Day, a day that we celebrate in Canada. Um, every single year, this is the sixth year that we've actually done the celebration, which already kind of blows my mind. It seems like we should be doing this for a lot longer, but they finally made it official six years ago and national Caesar day falls on the last Thursday before May two, four weekend. So it's, it's literally the gateway to summer. Like, yeah, pretty sure the day fell and the sun came out and you know, it's just, it's, (laughs) they're, they're, they go hand in hand with each other, the summertime and Caesars and everything. So it worked perfectly. What is the connection between Caesars and Canada? Uh, so it was created in Alberta back in 1969. So it actually just went through its 50th anniversary, uh, which is pretty cool. They did a whole like book release and a whole bunch of bartenders from across Canada came together to kind of pitch in on it and whatnot with their recipes. Um, but obviously Mott's and the Caesar started catching on. People started enjoying it. It was so strictly a Canadian thing that about 40 years in, they approached the Canadian government and said, look, we have this thing, this cocktail, Mott's Clamato Caesar. Everyone's loving it. Came from Alberta. Uh, there are millions of these things going out in the summertime. What can we do about this? And following the proper channels and whatnot, the government actually legitimately created it, uh, the, the national cocktail for Canada. Wow. They, they announced it and made it official, which is super cool. Now, what's with the U.S. and them not having it or knowing what this is? They're, they're, they're still trying to catch up on a lot of fun things, yeah. man. It's like ketchup chips, all dress chips, and Caesars. They're missing out on the big three, and that's and it. And butter tarts. And butter tarts, true, butter with pecans. Tarts. Yes, that's my, my advice. When did you pop your Caesar cherry? Oh, man. I was a cocky 19-year-old kid walking into the bar ordering a whole bunch of like Swedish berries and porn star martinis thinking that I own the world kind of thing and then probably after my first or second hangover that was atrocious from all those the, the sugars and things Sugar. that are in there I, uh, I I probably sat there and saw Caesar go by me and immediately like what what was that what what is that I need to have one I need to try one and so for me the Caesar was the first kind of uh, elevated cocktail that I ever got to try something that wasn't just your spiced rum and Coke or something like that going into it. Right. So it, it's funny because obviously now we're full circle bartending thing and stuff like that. And here I am talking to you about it years later, but uh, I'd say the Caesar more or less kind of kickstarted my whole, uh, you know, cocktail career. career. Yeah. But, um, Mott's Clamato uh, is a must and tell us why. <clears throat> Mott's is the only way to make a Caesar as far as yeah, I'm concerned. Everybody but says that. Oh, 100%, man. You got to have the Clamato. The Clamato is so key. That's that's where the states really kind of falter and with their Bloody Marys and their other stuff out there. Right. Caesar is king and Mott's is is completely one in one with the Caesar all the way across the board. Um, Flavor-wise, they've got their classic. That's the OG. That's the, what the original Caesar was made with. They've now kind of upped that to expand our horizons with a spicy bean in there. There's extra spicy uh, they have super, super accessible cans of Caesars. So in Ontario here at the LCBO, all these uh, RTDs, we call them, are ready to drink uh, cocktails, right. essentially cocktail in a can. They just, they make it so easy for us to go out and enjoy our summer, pick up a quick, uh, you know, sriracha flavored 
Caesar <laughs> and head to the park and have the best time of your life. What is this thing I saw Mott's Reserved the other day? Mott's Reserve is awesome. So it's a product that they have that they're bringing back by popular demand. Uh, just another flavor along their profile line, but it is with fire roasted jalapenos and it's oh all natural ingredients. So like for me, one of my favorite things about the Caesar is how versatile it is. So when I think like fire roasted jalapenos, I think a little spicy, a little Mexican, mm-hmm. you know, so I go tequila. So a little bit of tequila and your uh, jalapeno fire roasted Caesar and you're having a good day. That is a trick. Yeah. Um, what's the simple trick I promised listeners uh, that we're going to tell them how to make <laughs> yeah, Caesar totally. every time? You've totally. got a one, two, three, four, five method. The one, two, three, four, five. Do you have your pen and paper ready? You I'm don't need it. It's, it's, it's that easy. Uh, so one, this, this is not by any means a kind of a hard and fast rule on how to make Caesars. This will though yield you a perfect product every time. This is the classic. So okay. for the one, two, three, four, five method, the number one is vodka. So one part vodka, one ounce of vodka. You can say go into your glass up there. The just two, just, to, just exactly. That's why this is, you know, you, okay. you can tweak uh, depending on uh, where you want your day to go and, <laughs> and how, how long you have. Yes, yes. So number one is vodka. Number two is going to be hot sauce. So the classic is Tabasco, two dashes of hot sauce. Again, I like to bump that number up a little bit. I like the spicy. Yes, please. Number three is going to be salt and pepper. So three cranks of a salt mill or a pepper mill in there. Um, and you'll see salt as kind of a forefront ingredient at cocktail bars and stuff now, just like chefs use it all the salt really does is open your receptors and your palate to really get all those flavors and everything in there. Right. So salt is uh, finally a trick that's getting behind the bar now, as well as from out of the kitchen kind of thing. So three cranks of salt and pepper shaker. Four is going to be your Worcestershire sauce, four Mm. dashes of the Worcestershire. I, uh, again, bump that up usually when I'm making it, but four is the the classic ratio and then five parts, uh, mozzarella, of course, the most important ingredient, the backbone. That is easy breezy cover girl. Yes, sir. What are we thinking about when we see Caesars in restaurants and they've got like a burger attached to them? Yeah, the garnish wars. That's a huge <laughs> thing that took off. The, the, the craziest garnish I've ever seen in my entire life uh, was an entire Peking duck rested on a glass. What? And the Peking duck had a like a flamethrower through its mouth and literally had like a sparkler thing going on with fire through its mouth. It's wild. Whose quacky idea was that? Uh, a gentleman named Simon <laughs> in the bar world out here. He's got plenty of quacky ideas going around, but it's a, uh, yeah. If you want to change up the classic Caesar, you do what do you think? Uh, so I start with the spirit. I, I you know, if uh, I, I generally, when I'm building my Caesars at home, I like to use gin. Uh, I like to use tequila. Oh. I like to use bourbon. The, the Mott's is a really, really solid, uh, balanced kind of backbone to the drink. So it will play well with a whole bunch of other flavors. It'll play well with the kind of barrel spice from a bourbon. It'll play well with the kind of agave earthy notes from the tequila. Uh, for me, I really like how the kind of juniper uh, almost lends like a, a, a very, very minute kind of fruitiness to Caesars and stuff like that. So I, w- I would definitely start with the spirits, but there are so many ways you can go. You can throw horseradish in there instead of hot sauce. You can throw um, a, a kind of dash of red wine. Yeah, oh, horseradish is so good. And then you get a little, uh, little extra texture in there too, you know, it's tasty. When a pro like you, Billy Killen, makes a Caesar, uh, what's your favorite to make? Uh, so I do gin. I do horseradish. Mm. I do a dash of red wine. And I know that sounds super, super weird, but it adds kind of like a nice like tannic kind of fruity thing going into it. Uh, and then I load the Worcestershire in there. And then usually, usually the pickled bean is my favorite mods to use on there. I love the pickled kind of zip that gives you. So you have to experiment when you're making a, a version like that. Did you ever make one that was just like God awful? Uh, yeah. 
I have, but that was completely of of my fault. That was not (laughs) the fault of of, uh, of Mots or anybody else. I was a little too gung-ho with putting weird, funky, esoteric things into a Caesar. what? So I had like ultra smoky scotch uh, balance with like a coffee liqueur thing going on in there. And if there's one thing that I've learned is don't put liqueurs in Caesars. Like the spirits are great. They're really nice and whatnot. Mots, it would just get muddled if you try to put a whole bunch of sugary fake flavored things in there so stick away from that for the most part so give me the top things we should not add to a caesar then so people don't go crazy trying to experiment yeah totally anything anything sweet that you find on your back bar that you have at home sitting like your your you know bottle of chambord liqueur or your kalua or your aperol or something that's on your back bar that is generally colored and flavored and full of sugar <laughs> and do probably not, not quite. So yeah. Do not touch. Keep away from those. Stick with the spirits. Spirits really shine uh, in a Mott Caesar really, really well. So I would stick with the basics for that. Billy Killen. You sure. killed it. Thanks buddy. I appreciate it. This is always fun. <laughs> it's, it's nice, nice seeing you. Yeah, yeah, likewise. Is. yeah likewise. you have a great looking uh, living room. Is that your living room? Uh, yes. Part of it. Nice. It's lovely. Thank you. Thank yeah, you very much. I expected much. nothing less. Thank you. Ah. Uh, Come back again with more uh, great ideas, would you? Yeah, we'd love to. Meanwhile, that's another Sean Proust Show over and out for this hour. You can always catch episodes you missed on demand on the SiriusXM app and over on SeanPru.com, where you can also subscribe to my Thought Revolution newsletter and get some What the What content that makes you think differently about things a little here and there. Next weekend, uh, we're back. I wish you peace and I wish you love until that time. Of my rebel.